This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Before I get into the topic at hand, I just want to remind you that if you want to communicate with me for any reason, feel free to drop me a line at the email address ancientpaths at cantrell.cc. You can also learn more about the ministry I'm involved in at stoneworks.ngo, and also our personal site is cantrell.cc. Well, today I'm going to finish up my talk about how to find peace in Christ in times of trouble, how the Lord has given me peace in Christ when I was going through a particular time of hardship a few years ago. As I've mentioned a few times in these talks, we've faced some pretty hard times here in Russia as we've been involved in ministry, and we're not special. Everybody in the world, all believers, face difficulties, really hard times. Everyone in the world faces hard times. Matter of fact, the Lord said, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. He didn't say, uh, once you start following me, all your troubles are going to end. <laughs> and there are some evangelists who would say that to people or teachers who say it to believers that if we just had more faith or if we were able to abide in Christ better, then all our troubles would end. And that's just not true. It's not what the Lord said. He said to us that we're going to have trouble in this world, but we should be encouraged because he has overcome that. So there's always hope. That's why believers in Jesus have hope because we know that there is more than the suffering and the hardship. I've often thought about people who are materialists. That's common in today's age. Even a lot of people in churches, I think, probably are materialists. And that means the only things that really exist are things that are material, the things that we can see or interact with. Some things, of course, we can't see except with microscopes, but all that is is material and that we are the result of some evolutionary force and therefore a human has no more value than a rock or a tree or any other animal and there's a hopelessness that's built into that i think though most people don't really want to think that deeply about it but really if there is no god and if there is no resurrection then there is no hope, and the sufferings that we have are only sufferings. They don't bear any good fruit. They don't have any good result, and yet the scriptures encourage us that if we will let God do what he's going to do in us, then there is a harvest. If we allow God to do what he's going to do, then there actually is a good result. And even though we have to bear a cross and go through suffering, there is joy on the other side of those crosses. So I want to start here with 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It'll be familiar to you. And it's a scripture that I keep coming back to. I think about it often, and it applies here. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. That's what Paul wrote to that church in Corinth. I'll just highlight a few things here. Look at how God the Father is described. He is the Father of compassion. He is the God of all comfort. That is just so different from so many of the world's religions. The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. That is our God. That's his character. He is compassionate and he comforts people. He knows that we're going to have troubles. In this world, we're definitely going to have troubles, and he provides comfort. And that's really why I'm sharing with you the ways that he's comforted me. He gives us comfort, not just so that we'll be comforted, but so that that comfort can overflow to other people and encourage them, because God is always mindful of how to help everyone, that his blessings would flow through us to the people around us. And here Paul says if he was distressed, it was for the comfort of the people in Corinth. And I'll say if I was distressed through this hard time that we went through a few years ago, it's not just so that I would be comforted, it's so that you would be encouraged. My hope is that by sharing with you how the Lord has comforted me, you will be comforted and you will experience patient endurance. That's a theme in the scriptures as well that we need to endure. We need to have patience and endure. And if you receive any comfort from what I'm saying, if you sense the Lord comforting you in your spirit, then please look around you and see who the Lord is bringing to you so that you can comfort them with the comfort that you have received from him. I know you've experienced this. I certainly have. When the Lord is teaching me a lesson, and I'm really learning it, of course, there's a difference between being taught a lesson and actually learning a lesson. But when we really learn things deep in our spirit, the Lord will bring people to us, the people that he wants to comfort. So look around and see who's coming into your field of influence. Uh, When I first moved to Russia, I was overwhelmed with how much need there was. Uh, At the time, and I think it may still be true, there were more orphans in Russia when I moved here in the year 2000 than there were at the end of World War II. There's just a tremendous amount of need. And I felt overwhelmed, and then the Lord spoke to me in my spirit and said, only help those who are at arm's length. I wasn't responsible for all of the orphans in the former Soviet Union. I was just called to help those who were at arm's length within my sphere of influence. And that's true for you as well. Let him bring the people to you. Let him define your area of ministry. And then be faithful in that. And if we're faithful with a little, then he'll give us more. So be faithful. And if you're receiving any comfort from what I'm sharing, look around and see who the Lord is bringing to you so that you can comfort them with the comfort that you're receiving from him. I've titled this talk, The Shepherd's Voice, and these were things that I wrote down in my notes as I was praying specifically 
or him, the good shepherd, to guide me through this difficult time that I was facing. One of the things that I felt the Lord saying to me was that I was to live at peace with everyone. And in Hebrews 12 and Romans 12, we see this teaching. Um, I guess I should say that as I was praying, I would sense what the Lord was saying to me, and then I would go to the scriptures to look and find out what the Bible says about that particular topic and how to, how to walk through things. So Hebrews 12 and Romans 12 uh, were part of this study when I felt the Lord calling me in that specific situation to live at peace with everyone. Well, I just said that it's in that specific situation. He wants us to do that all the time. But this was a part of his call to me, a part of the pathway through that valley of the shadow of death that I was in. Hebrews 12, verse 14, Make every effort to live at peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Now, I mentioned this scripture, I think in my last talk, about not allowing that bitter root to grow up. But verse 14 says, make every effort to live at peace with all men. There are a few places in the scripture, in the New Testament, where the Bible tells us to make every effort to do something. One is to make every effort to enter into the Sabbath rest of God, and another is to make every effort to have the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And here we're told, make every effort to live at peace with all men. We have to make an effort. It does not come naturally. (laughs) It doesn't come naturally to human beings in this fallen world. We have to work at living in peace with other people. Romans 12, verse 18, talks about this, but I want to go back to verse 9, so we get a little bit of the context of what Paul is saying to the church in Rome. And here it starts, uh, Romans 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Ah, That's a great section. And as I read it now, it brings to mind the law that we're under right now, the law of Christ. The scriptures say that the Mosaic law, the old covenant, is fading. It's obsolete. We're not under that anymore. But we're not just lawless. We're under the law of Christ now. And under the Mosaic law, there were 613 laws, not just the Ten Commandments, but there were another 603 laws, instructions that the nation of Israel was called to follow. 
Now, we're under the law of Christ, and some people think that there aren't any laws for us to follow. Well, there were 613 under the Old Covenant, but look here at all of these instructions, commands, really, imperatives that Paul writes. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, never be lacking in zeal, be joyful in hope, share with God's people, bless those who persecute you. These are all commandments. They're all imperatives. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Don't be conceited. Don't repay evil for evil. Those are all rules for us to live by. And we live in freedom because when we're bound to Christ by his Spirit, and when we enter into that family of God, he promises to help us desire and fulfill his commandments. And here are a pretty good list of them. This is the way the Lord wants us to be. It's really good. It's very freeing to see these kinds of commandments. We're not lawless people. We're under the law of Christ and the law of love. And here's a list of teachings and instructions for us. I think there's over 1,100 of such imperatives in the New Testament. So we need to be mindful of that. Of course, I'm going to focus right now on just on verse 18. Well, let me go back a little bit and see a few things here that may apply as we go through hard times. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's very important, of course. It's very important. The Lord wants us always to be a source of blessing that good things flow out of us to others, and particularly to people who are persecuting us or who consider us their enemies. Let God's grace flow out of you, streams of living water. That's the image that we have, and God wants us to bless people and not only sort of take the hits and receive hard things, but also for good things to flow out of us, blessings and not curses. Verse 16, live at harmony with one another. I just want to emphasize this, even though it's not really on topic. Harmony is when two different notes sound well together, and we are called to live in harmony, not in unison. So we don't have to be exactly like everyone around us. As a matter of fact, God has made us all different and given us different gifts so that we can help other people. But we should live at harmony let those differences uh, sound good. Okay, verse 18 is what the Lord was speaking to me a few years ago. Verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And here it is, as much as it depends on me, I should live at peace with everyone. The people around me may not be making any effort to live at peace with me, but my response should be to God, not to people. I need to be obedient to the Lord and not just respond to what other people are doing to me or around me. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Sometimes it's not possible to live at peace with other people because of their actions and their choices. But as much as it depends upon me, I'm going to make an effort to live at peace with people, to be peaceful. And as I was going through that hard time, there were situations that came up where I knew that I was walking into what could be a very difficult argumentative meeting or time, 
And in those various situations, I would ask the Lord for the peaceful way through, and he always showed me. So as we come into situations, as much as it's possible, as much as it depends upon us, we need to live at peace with everyone and ask the shepherd to show us that peaceful way through. Another thing that came to mind, this was actually really helpful. Boy, I'm so thankful that the Good Shepherd spoke this to me. And it's become a verse for my family as well as just for me. All of us now know that this is something that God is calling us to specifically. As I was praying and making notes, I felt the words in my spirit, be blameless. And that's what I wrote down, be blameless. And it kind of surprised me and it confused me because I was thinking, how in the world can I be blameless to have no blame assigned to me in this situation? I'm human, I make mistakes, but how can a human being be blameless? Do you want to be blameless in everything? How is that possible? Well, of course, I turned to the scriptures, and pretty quickly I found the answer. There's a very specific answer to that. (laughs) It's great in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Um, I'll just read it. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless. There it was. That's the answer to that question. How can we be blameless people? We can go through life without complaining or arguing. I'll read all of 14 and 15. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. This was really helpful advice. (laughs) Not only advice, I mean, it's a command. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Is that possible? Yeah, it is. Rarely is it accomplished 100% of the time, but as soon as the Lord laid this on my heart, it helped me so much when I was going in to meetings where the people I was meeting with wanted to argue with me. And there were lots of times where I wanted to complain privately or talking to other people. I really wanted to complain. And, you know, actually, I guess you'd say I had every right to complain. And yet the Lord is saying, be blameless in this. Don't complain. Don't argue. And that's how we become blameless. I mentioned in the last talk how when gossip spreads around, it often gets back to the target of that gossip. And I know that people were saying things about me to others, and that got back to me. And if we do everything without complaining or arguing, then no complaints and no arguments will get back to the other side of this equation. They'll only hear positive things, blessing. And this is an example of how the Lord wants me to guard my heart. The scripture says, carefully guard your heart for therein flow the springs of life. And if we give in to complaining and arguing, then the springs of life are impure. We have to guard our hearts 
Yes, we could say we have every right to complain and argue, but that's not God's way. We should do everything without complaining or arguing. So I encourage you with that. If this is touching your heart, what I'm sharing with you is making sense spiritually, put it into practice. It's really good. It's really good to be a person who controls those impulses to complain and argue, to be contrary. We should do everything in life without complaining or arguing. I've heard a teacher say that when we complain, we're basically telling God that we could run our lives better than he does. And that does make sense. Because if we're in a hard situation, he's allowed us to be there, and he's got purposes within it, these hard things. And if we complain about it, then we're saying, God, I could do better than you're doing. I've even heard that applied to the weather. (laughs) If we complain about the weather, we're saying that we could run the earth better than God runs the earth. We shouldn't be complaining or arguing. We need to receive what happens and look for those deep, eternal good spiritual lessons that we learn through the difficulties that we face. This leads me into the next thing that I wrote down, and uh, the topic heading I have here is guard the tongue, but basically what I wrote down is don't speak, (laughs) and I had to think that through. As I mentioned, I had several meetings with people who were in... uh, real disagreement with me about things, and were saying some pretty harsh things to me face-to-face. And the Lord was telling me, guard the tongue, guard your tongue, don't speak. Many times I sensed in the Spirit that if I were to talk in a particular situation, it would only make things worse. My words were going to spark a great fire. Well, we've just read about how to be blameless and pure. Do you know how to be perfect? what the scriptures say, how we can be complete and perfect? Well, in James chapter 3, we have an answer to that question. He says, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Oh boy, James really learned some great lessons. He lived a life where he learned these things by experience and was able to write them down for us. And he says, if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man. If we can control our tongue, we can control our whole body Because the tongue is this little thing that shapes the direction of our life. Certainly it applies to this scripture about not arguing, not complaining. We've got to control our tongues. We may have things inside us that want to come out, but we've got to control that tongue. 
because it will spark a great fire. And there were quite a few times when I was going into meetings or writing emails. I guess you could say in an email, it's controlling the fingertips. It's taking those thoughts captive to Christ. The Lord was calling me to control my words and not let that spark set a great fire and burn things down. That's what the Lord was saying to me. Don't speak. Guard the tongue. It takes discernment because there are times, and I've mentioned it in the past, there's a scripture that says an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. And there are times when we need to be honest and show our affection for someone else by speaking honestly. But we shouldn't argue and we shouldn't complain. We need to be mindful of how strong our words are. Probably everyone listening to this has been through some time Either when you or somebody you know said something, and once it was said, the damage was done, and it was really hard to take back that damage. It's interesting, of course, Jesus at one point did not speak in front of his accusers. John Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers, said, No matter how just your words may be, you ruin everything when you speak with anger. We can say things that are true, but if we don't say them in love, then, well, that forest fire can start and just burn everything down. This reminds me of something that I've known for a while, but certainly put this into practice as I was going through this hard time. The Holy Spirit is a helper. As a matter of fact, one of the words to define the Holy Spirit's role is he's an advocate. And that word is a legal term. And an advocate is a lawyer. The Holy Spirit is a lawyer. He's an advocate. And in certain circumstances, there have been times when I say, Father, I need a lawyer. I need someone to represent me to these other people that have set themselves against me. I don't want to defend myself. I don't know the words to say if I'm afraid that if I talk, then it's going to blow everything up. So, Holy Spirit, please be my lawyer. Please represent me to them in their spirits. And also, I want to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying so that he can represent them to me, that he can be an advocate for them, so that I can hear what he is saying and consider what is best for them or their perspective. So this is a lesson that I've learned, to let the Holy Spirit represent me to others. And I encourage you, at times, let him state your case. Trust him to stand by your side and be your lawyer. And there have been a few times when I prayed that prayer, Holy Spirit, please be my advocate with this other person. And then they would, through their own prayer and own time with the Lord, come to understand my position without me saying anything to them about it. We have to have faith. Is God real or not? Then we need to act on our belief that he really is there and the Holy Spirit really is an advocate. We have to control our tongue, not speak, not defend ourselves, not argue in that way. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will speak directly to another person's spirit. Sometimes he will give us the words that we need to say that are perfect for that circumstance. As a matter of fact, Jesus said to his disciples, when you're brought before rulers, don't think in advance what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. So we need to be spiritual people, not just folks who 
stand at a distance and say, yeah, I believe that God works in this way, but people who enter into that spiritual life, the life of the Holy Spirit. Well, in closing, I'm going to, I said in closing, this is something, it's one of my pet peeves, actually, when a pastor says, and in closing, and then talks for another 20 or 30 minutes. But in closing, I'm going to quickly go through a few things that I was putting into practice as I went through this hard time, things that the Lord was reminding me of, and they are things that I have talked about in previous episodes of this podcast. Hebrews 12 is an example of how we can see God's instruction for us to approach difficult times. In Hebrews 12, the writer says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So those people, the Hebrew believers at that time, had been struggling against a sinful world, ungodly circumstances that were causing real trouble. Not yet to the point of shedding their blood, but they would get to that point. And in Hebrews 12, we are instructed to accept that hardship as discipline by a loving father. We shouldn't complain about it. We shouldn't argue with God about how he's chosen to let our lives unfold. We need to accept hardship as discipline by a loving father. And I'll say it again, discipline is not punishment. There are times when we get punished for our sins, when we do things contrary to the will of God. But there are a lot of times when we suffer hardship because the world is sinful and broken. And we should accept that hardship as discipline. God isn't punishing us. He's disciplining us. He'll use these forces in life so that we'll be conformed to the image of Jesus, to move us in the right direction. The image that I use is combing my hair. I'm not punishing my hair. I'm disciplining my hair. And when I comb it, I put it into order, put it the way that it needs to be. Of course, in Hebrews 12, it says no discipline is pleasant at the time. It's painful. This is in verse 11 of Hebrews 12. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. No discipline is pleasant. It's painful. And it can feel like punishment, but it's not punishment. Because we have a loving dad who is always going to keep working so that we'll be moved into the direction of purity, perfection. And the promise here in Hebrews 12 is that there is a harvest waiting for those of us who will allow this hardship to function as discipline by a loving father. And I do want to underscore here just again, this harvest is both righteousness and peace. And righteousness is right actions doing the right things, things in the right way, in accordance with God's will. And peace is internal, a peace where there is no conflict within, a peace that passes understanding. And there's a harvest of doing the right things and being at peace within ourselves if we'll let God train us through these hardships. Another thing that I've said several times is it's impossible to offend a corpse (laughs) That is probably one of the best things I've heard in my life. I've been thinking about maybe writing a book called Proverbs for a New Covenant, 
And uh, this might be one of them. It's impossible to offend a corpse. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus says to us, to everyone, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. We are called to take up our cross, to die to ourselves and live for Christ. And as we die to ourselves, we can listen to what other people are saying without taking offense. It's impossible to offend a corpse. If we're really dying to ourselves, there's just not a place for offense to cling to us. I've also talked about the word character, the Greek word character, which in Greek has a similar meaning to English. Uh, It's the internal character of a person, but also character in Greek originally was an engraver, originally in the sense of a craftsman. But then it was also used as a tool for engraving and for a stamp for minting coins. So from this meaning of the word a stamp for minting coins, the meaning of the word character was extended to the impression that it made. And this image of a king that is stamped on a coin is an image that is formed under intense violence, pressure, and heat. God uses intense, difficult circumstances to form his character on us. And as I've said, if this blank piece of metal that will become the coin moves at all, then the image is blurred. And our role is to allow God to do what he's going to do and not try to dodge away from the difficult circumstances that he's using to form his character in us. So we need to bear up under that pressure. Let the Lord do his work in our hearts. He allows these pressures in our lives, and he knows that they do good work in our heart if we will allow that process to take place. Remember, I quoted Jesus earlier. He said, if anyone would come after me, there's an if. We have a choice. If we will follow him, if we will let him do his work, if we will persevere and allow him to do what he's doing, then there's a harvest of righteousness and peace. This theme of perseverance was throughout my times of hardship. In James chapter 1, This is also quite familiar to all of us. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We need to let perseverance do its work. Let that hardship do its work in us so that we'll share in God's divine nature and have a harvest of righteousness and peace. And that's why we can consider it a joy, even if it's not fun, because remember, discipline is not pleasant, it's painful. But in the middle of that, we can consider it a joy that we're facing this trial, because that testing of our faith develops perseverance. I also spoke recently about the place of promises in the kingdom, And so as I was going through this very difficult time, I often was looking at the promises that God had made because when I'm in a hard time and don't see the way out, well, God has given us promises that are firm and unchanging. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, we read, 
His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. He has given us great and precious promises so that we can participate in the divine nature and escape this corruption, this rottenness that's in the world that's caused by sin. We can find rest in his promises. When we go through hard times, we have to turn our sight away from ourselves and to our loving Father. He is our refuge, and he gives promises. He promises to help us. He promises that he'll never give us more temptation than we can bear. He'll always provide a way out. We need to look to him and stand on his promises. And now I really do mean it. The last thing that I'll share is Wesley's covenant prayer. I've talked about this several times, and I want to finish up with it here because this prayer is so encouraging, and it helps me in so many ways to be comforted, to pray this prayer from my heart and state my commitment again to God. Uh, Just as a reminder, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, wrote an entire service called the Covenant Service, and it was first done in 1755. And you can find it online. The service is wonderful. And it goes through steps of worship and confession of sin and receiving of forgiveness. And the purpose of the entire service is to restate our covenant with God, our relationship with God. Here's the prayer, the closing prayer of Wesley's covenant service. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with who you will. Put me to doing Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, You are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Boy, that's a good prayer. It's a prayer of complete surrender. We aren't our own anymore. We belong to him. That he can put us to what he wants us to do. He can put us with who he wants us to be with. He can put us to action. He can place us in a place of suffering even to surrender our expectation that we would be useful for him. If he wants to give us a time where, I don't know, the ground is fallow for a while, that's up to him. Let him exalt us or bring us low. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. Uh, Just a full surrender of everything in life. God calls us to let go of all of our expectations, to completely lay aside ourselves, to deny ourselves, to put ourselves last, that if we lay aside our life, he promises that he will give us 
his life and that he will be the head and he'll be the shepherd. Well, thank you for bearing with me over these last few talks as I've talked about how the Lord has been a comfort to me and my family as we went through a time of hardship. He really is a good shepherd. The Lord is a good shepherd. God is a loving Father, a God of comfort and peace. And my hope is that you are receiving comfort. And whatever comfort you're receiving can be used to comfort others around you. May the Lord continue to reveal these things to you. And may you walk in them, these pathways of God. Because his pathways are good, they're always good. And they bring peace to the soul. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all.